You know, everything that we are about as Christians in the body of Christ is to overcome. I mean, it's, I mean over and over in Revelation, it says, to him who overcomes, I'll give the crown of life. To him who overcomes. And so we're to overcome and be overcomers in every aspect of our life. Uh, certainly as, as Christians in our ministry and our witness, but we're to overcome on the workplace, we're to overcome in our families. And so how is it that we overcome? And, and so the title of my message today is, That Which is Born of the Spirit Overcomes the World. Everything in your life, you yourself, your life that was given to you through Christ, is what overcomes the world in you. It's Christ in you that overcomes. And so everything that we do, John uh, 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the flesh produces flesh. Even, even good ideas in the, in the natural cannot overcome the world. They can get you out there in life. They can look like they're succeeding. But over, over and above anything else, if it's not born of the Spirit, it's generally it's going to die. It's going to fizzle out. So we want to live our life with something that is uh, to have a destiny and a purpose and a cause that's born and birthed of God, that stands the test of time, that we, that we run our race and we complete our race, and we hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. 1 John 5, 4 says, that which is born of the Spirit, it overcomes the world. Psalm 127, verse 1, one of my favorite scriptures, when I was just a little baby Christian, I saw this. It said, unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. The sad thing is you can get it built, but your, all your labor would be in vain. It could be a beautiful-looking thing. You can, we can build a great, you know, we're building a new storehouse. We can build a um, re, refinished storehouse or build a brand-new building, but if it's not birthed and born of the Spirit of God, out of the heart of God, then all our labor is going to be in vain. You know, God will still bless us. We can repent and start over because that's what God does in our lives. But, but honestly, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your business, whether it's your, your career, Everything about you as a Christian, as soon as you got saved, you got marked for a purpose and a destiny that God had for you before the very foundations of the earth. And so we want to live in that foundation. We want to live in that place of destiny. Amen? Turn with me. So we want to know, first of all, how do you get that destiny? How do you get that, that dream from God, that purpose, that cause that God puts in his sons and daughters? And uh, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings Chapter 4. And I don't know whether you guys can put that up. You probably can't back there. 2 Kings chapter, chapter 4. And I'm going to read a lot of this, but I'll probably take a little liberty for the sake of time here. But uh, this is a story of Elijah. And it says it happened one day, starting at verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. It happened one day that Elijah went to Shunem. And there was a notable woman there, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there and eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by regularly. But please, let's make an, a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table and a chair and a lampstand, so it will be that whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he laid down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, he says, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said, and he said to him, his servant, say now to her, look, you have been concerned with, all this for this, with us with all this care. What can I do for you? 
do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, no, I dwell among my own people. So he said, then what can be done for her? And Gehazi answered and, actually, and said, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said to her, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to me. Do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time came, just as, as Elijah had told her. Now, what I want you to see in this story is that this is a woman of God. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not poured out upon everyone. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon certain prophets. And so the prophet was the representation of the, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the representation of God in the earth. So what she, what she did was said, hey, look, here, here is this man of God, this holy man of God that comes by from time to time. Just like us, we, from time to time, we feel the Holy Spirit. From time to time, we feel his presence. But she said, let's make room for this man so he may not just come by from time to time, but he can come in here and stay. He can lay down. His presence can come here and abide. See, God's looking not for a place just to visit you from time to time. He's looking for a resting place of his Holy Spirit. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, it says, the earth is groaning and crying out for the manifestation of sons. The sons of God are those that have the Holy Spirit descending upon them and resting upon them. It's as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So this woman, she made room for the man of God, and as a result of just making room and, and, and establishing a place for God, she ended up pregnant with something that she wasn't even looking for. And see, Debbie and I, we, we, we cannot walk with those. I'm just telling you, I don't have any place for people who are looking for ministry or looking for a big, for, you know, to be the next big minister, the next big thing. I just can't walk with those kind of people. This woman wasn't looking for anything from God. She was just looking to make room for, the, for the, the presence of the Lord. And so those are the kind of people that God uses. If you look at every uh, powerful saint of God, if you look at the Smith Wigglesworth and the Catherine Kuhlmans and uh, the A.A. A. Allens, all those people, they were just simple people who just simply made room for God in their life. None of them were great men of God that went to a theological seminary to try to start some great ministry. They were just men of God who made room for God in their life and ended up pregnant with a cause, with a destiny, and with a purpose. Okay, so this woman makes room for God. She ends up pregnant and has a son. And if we read forward, I'm, forward, I'm going to take a little bit. It says, as a child grew, this is verse 18, it happened one day that he went out with his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And she, so he, said, he said, "Take the, the, he asked his servant, take and carry him to his mother. But when he had taken him to his mother and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. So what she got pregnant with seemingly died. It doesn't say it was her fault or her husband's fault or even the boy's fault, but what this woman found herself with, the cause that she had, suddenly in her it seemed as if it had died. It did die. And so what she did is that she went, and I'm going to paraphrase here, she, she just said, she went out to the field with her husband, got the servant, and she says, we're going to go to the man of God. And so she, her husband said, is everything well? She said, it is well. And she went straight forward to the man of God. And when Elijah saw her coming afar off, he told his servant, go out and meet her. And so he went out and met her. She ignored the servant of God, pushed him away basically, and said, no, I'm going to the one who got me pregnant in the first place. I'm not going to a man of God or a woman of God to try to resurrect something that, got, that died in me. I've got to go back to the one and to the place where it began. And so she went to this man of God, and he told his servant, he says, look, go take my staff and lay it into her house, 
and lay the staff on the child and see if it'll raise him up. And so the staff in the Bible always represents, like Moses had the staff, it always represents the law. And a lot of times when something in you dies because of just discouragement, we talked about hope deferred earlier, when something that seemingly dies in you, a lot of times we come under legalism, we begin to beat ourselves up, we begin to strive and try to get it back what was lost. And I'm telling you, the only way to get it back is to go back to that place of intimacy that got you pregnant in the first place. So she wouldn't let go of the man of God. And so she gets him, and the rest of the story is, he comes and he lays down on the child, he lays his eyes upon his eyes, his, his mouth upon his mouth, lays down on the, on the child, and the child comes back to life, and he brought it back to life. So this is a story of, of really getting pregnant because you just simply made room for God in your life. And that's how, that's how it all begins. No one I know that, that walks with God ever sought, thought about, look, I want a prophetic ministry, or I want this, or I want that. It's simply making room for the Holy Spirit, making room for, your, for a place for God in your life, and then suddenly you're, you're pregnant with a destiny and a desire and a purpose that you never were looking for. Usually God gives you a passion for something, and then he says, tag, you're it. He lets you be the answer to the very passion that you have. Amen? When God called Abraham, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 and 10, it says, Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going, but seeking a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So Abraham, God gives him a vision and calls him out, tells him to leave his family and, and go to the place that he called him. And so he goes out without any understanding. And that's what it's like when you get a vision from God. When you begin to start with God, you don't know how to get it done. You just start walking towards that that God said, and then God gives it to you as you need it. Too many times we, we, we get, a, we get a, an understanding of what God wants to do. We say, okay, God, I'll take it from here, you know. And then about three days later, we're going, help, <laughs> you know. Because the vision gets you out there, but it keeps you out. You stay out there the same way you got it in the first place. That's by spending time with the Lord. And spending time in that place. So Abraham goes out, not knowing where he was going, but seeking that city whose builder and maker was God, that God had promised him. And as you know the story, he took Lot, his nephew, with him. And Lot, the, 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 two, the Bible says two cannot walk together lest they be of the, of the Spirit. And we're talking about those things that are born of the Spirit. So the, the, the Bible says the land could not support both Lot and Abraham because they began to grow in and, and cattle and wealth and so forth. And so the land cannot support us. So Abraham said, look, Lot, let there be no strife between your people and my people or between you and I, our families. He said, whichever way you want to go, you, you go, and I'll take the other direction. So Lot looked up in the natural, and he saw a, a walled city with a well-watered uh, gardens, with well-watered fields. So it had water, and it was a walled city. It was an already built thing. And many times that what we do is we get an understanding of what God wants, and we go to the place that's already built. See, we're living in a time where the things that, that God used to do in the church aren't working. That we're in a, the church is, is forever moving forward. The Holy Spirit is always moving. And what the, what the church does is they get a revelation of one thing, God uses it, and then we build a doctrine around that, and then we just stop there. God is always moving prophetically and moving us to our destiny of an end-time harvest that's really upon us right now. And so... So what, what God is, what used to work yesterday, a lot of times we get a vision from God, and I watch this all the time in my own life. As soon as God shows you something and gives you a, a, a purpose, it's like you try to fit it in what every other ministry looks exactly like. Um, I'll never forget, um, 
Kenneth Hagin, he's the apostle of faith, you know, the word of faith message. Kenneth Hagin started the Ramus School and a big school and everything. It's still going on today, I think. So he was praying one day. He said, Lord, you know, you called me to build this school. And he said, we're just, it's like month to month. We just barely get by. He said, to meet the bills. And God said, school? I never told you to build me a school. I told you to teach my people the word of faith message. So he built this big school. I mean, we're talking about Dad Hagen, you know. Builds this big school, and God never told him to build it. He told him to teach the word. So he was out there on his own. Let's put it that way. But God rescued him. But Lot looked up in the natural. See, it's, you cannot walk with people who are not going where you're going. And there's, 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 there's things that are that in the church today that are already built, the big places, they're well-watered cities, the walls are already built. And the tendency is, is to go to what's already built. But it takes that which is born of the Spirit is life. It takes the, the, the eyes and the ears of the Spirit to be able to discern what the Lord is saying and doing today. I'd rather go with God with a small group then miss God in, in, in this hour with a large group in a place that's already built. And so Abraham looks up, and when Abraham looks up, he saw the plains of something, I don't remember now. But he, when he looked up, it, there was a famine in the land. And a lot of times when you start to walk by faith, there's a famine in the land. Can you say amen? And so but what, here's what happened. What Lot saw in the natural, even though it was well watered and there was walls, there was also sin in the camp. It was a play, he pitched his tent near Sodom. And God destroyed Sodom. So what Lot saw in the natural, God destroyed. But what Abraham saw by faith, God built. What you see by faith, what God has put in you by faith, by faith will overcome the world. It'll overcome discouragement. It'll overcome mistakes that you make. It'll overcome everything else. God always watches and is faithful to watch over his word in you, his word through you to perform it. God, I mean, just as we were singing this morning, God never fails. He never gives up on us. He never gives up on his plan, his purpose, and his destiny in your life. But see, we have to see by the eyes of the Spirit. When, when, look, I, I love Nehemiah. When, when Nehemiah, God took Nehemiah up in the night and he showed him the wall. And there's more in that one scripture than, you know, unless God shows you the wall through his eyes and his heart for building you can share your vision, but there'll never be the passion and the, and the purity behind that vision if someone else takes it and runs with it. You know what I'm saying? When God takes you up in the night and he shows you the wall, he's imparting a part of his heart and a passion in, in his heart to see what, what he wants built, built in the earth. And that cannot be stolen. That's why it says Nehemiah purposed in his heart not to tell anyone else what God has shown him to do. It's too precious to let it get mixture in it with man's agenda and man's purposes. What God has called each one of you to do is unique and purposeful just for you, your cause, your destiny. Nobody else can do what God has called you to do. And see, the church today is, is like so many times the church is gathered around a person's vision. But really, that's the old school. That's really, uh, that's, that's Saul's kingdom. The kingdom of Saul was all about Saul. Come and, come and help me with my vision, with my destiny, with my purpose, and watch me minister. And, and you'll get your blessing, too, for helping me. That's not it. The true ministry of God is to serve at the feet of the people to make sure that the cause that God has put in your life, the vision that God's given your life, is, is never eclipsed by man 
but you get everything you need to fulfill that calling and that destiny and that purpose. Saul was jealous of one man's anointing where David was able to release the captains of 50, the captains of hundreds, and the captains of thousands to go and do great exploits for God. That's the difference of where we are now to where the church has been over the last 50 years, probably 100 years. Years ago, um, I love to get to tell this story, but uh, for many, I, I love to, to hunt. I love the outdoors. And more than any place, when God speaks to me, he speaks to me when I'm outdoors hunting. And so for like about 20 or 25 years, I had bird dogs, and I used to uh, go quail hunting all the time. And so most of my sermons, I have like the parable of the bird dogs, you know. So one day I was sitting at my desk and uh, in my office, and I'm just meditating on the Lord and just enjoying his presence and talking to him. And all of a sudden he starts talking to me about my bird dogs. And, and he, said, he said to me, he said, those bird dogs, he says, he just said, they're, they're, they're bought with a price. And my dogs, are, they were very expensive dogs. He said, they have royal bloodlines. And he says, and they have a purpose. And, and, and my dogs, it's like, they're not, everything they do, they're fed, they're watered, they're trained. I mean, everything about them is for the purpose of hunting birds. And he showed me, like, these dogs, it's like, you know how other dogs, they get excited when you give them a bone or something. And these dogs, they'll take the bone, but they really don't get excited about it. They just, they walk, they stand. I, I, I can't explain it. They, they just, they have a purpose about them that you see it just watching them. They just, they're just born to do one thing, and that's hunt birds. And there's a lot of things that'll make them happy, like petting them or giving them a milk bone or something. But there's only th one thing that gets them fulfilled, and that's doing the thing they're born to do, and that's hunt birds. And so as I'm in this time with the Lord, it's like suddenly I'm having a vision of my backyard. And the yard has a, a big fence around it. And then within that fence, there's a pen where I have the bird dogs. And as I'm watching it, this person comes and he, the gate's right there, but he doesn't go through the gate. He climbs over the fence. See, the true shepherd goes through the gate. So this guy was climbing over the fence. And every day he would go and tell my bird dogs, he'd say, let's go hunting. Now, see, the thing about hunting season for you guys, quail hunting is only four months out of the year, okay? So the other eight months around, they just sit about around and dream about hunting birds, you know? And so, but this guy liked to watch the dogs run to the gate, and so he was climbing over in this vision I'm having. It's a vision. And he's climbing over the fence, and he's going up to them, and he's saying, let's go hunting. And my dogs would just run to the gate, which they do, and they just jump up and down, and he just liked to watch them jump up and down. And my dogs, he was doing this every single day in this vision. And so when I showed up, the true master, in the fullness of time, fully intent on taking the dogs to do what they're born to do and fulfill their destiny, they had had their hope deferred so many times, they couldn't even get up and run to the gate. And the Lord began to show me his church. And he says that the house of Saul, which is what it is, It produces a people that are ever learning but never coming in to the fulfillment and the destiny and the call of God to respond their life. The Bible says in the last days the people would be ever learning but never coming to an understanding. And the truth is, is that Saul's kingdom can only produce hope deferred. 
You can never be fulfilled as a Christian in your calling and in, in fulfilling the destiny that you're born to do by watching someone else do it and promising you that someday your day will come. So God wants to heal hope deferred today. He wants to heal this in you today. It's so amazing that John brought that up this morning in the worship. Abraham, as we know, um, he was promised a son, Ishmael. He's promising that out of that that one son, he would produce a whole nation, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so we know the story. You know, Abraham, after Sarah is past the age of childbearing, she gives him a son through the, through the maid Hagar, and, he, and she has Ishmael. And we all know the story. You know, Abraham got anxious and produced an Ishmael. But we don't understand that for 14 years, God let Abraham think that Ishmael was the son of promise. I mean, for 14 years, God was, was silent, and Abraham is sowing into something that will never fulfill his destiny. And so when God comes up, shows up one day and says, okay, this time next year, your wife, Sarah, shall have a child through whom I'll fulfill my promise. Instead of being excited about the supernatural thing that God was going to do, he was disappointed about what God wasn't going to use. And he said, oh, that Ishmael could be a great nation. And that's what the Lord said. He said, Ishmael shall surely be a great nation, but my promise shall be fulfilled through Isaac, whose name means laughter. Because it's with joy that we draw the water from the wells of salvation. See, we can get so disappointed. I mean, for years, and I, I mean, I just know that for many years, I, I prayed my heart out to see churches, to see them have a move of God. And as soon as the move of God began to begin to come, you, you begin to see the, stru- the, the real agenda of the people. You know, either the leadership embraces the move of God and a lot of people get offended and leave, or the people embrace the move of God and the leadership, you know, shuts it down somehow. So, I mean... The move of God usually reveals the hearts of the people that are there. And so we watch things that we knew and prayed and, and believed that God was going to use, and, and God was using us in only to watch it not be able to fill. It was a wineskin that could not fulfill the destiny and the purpose that God had. And you know that now, but at the time it was gut-wrenching. It was just like Ishmael, sowing 16 years into something that God could never use to fulfill. And I'm telling you, the day that we're living in, this is not a church move. The move of God that's coming, surely there's going to be churches, there's going to be houses of worship. But I'm telling you, it is, it's never been a time like this to occupy the gates of the city and the place that God has you, the places of influence that God puts you in, in your business, in the schools, in the, the prisons, in the... Um, wherever God has placed you, especially in education, areas like that, the media. I mean, God is raising up people to possess and inhabit the gates of influence in this hour. Amen. Even Jesus' disciples, if you think about it, I mean, they're walking with the Lord for three and a half years. They're seeing signs and wonders and miracles. They're doing signs and wonders and miracles in his name. They've got the revelation that he's the Messiah. I mean, they're they're the inner people. They they know something about the Lord and about what God's doing that even the religious community doesn't know. They've got, they're they're in, you know. They're they're arguing over who's going to sit at the right hand and the left. And so the Lord shows up one day and he says, look, you know, now you see me. This is uh, John 16. 
He says, now you see me, but a little while you'll see me no more. And they kind of reason among themselves. So finally he says, I tell you plainly, he says, you're like a woman who's come to the point of birth. And he says, you're going to be vexed and scattered, and you're going to be under great duress until the time that the child is born. See, they didn't know that to fulfill the vision, there was a cross involved. And so, you know, one minute they're happy, and the next minute they're, they're realizing that, hey, we're, this is, this is we're, they, were the, they were pregnant with the end-time move of God, and they didn't know it. He said, you're like a woman that's pregnant. So this is what God is doing. He said to them, he said, look, when the baby's born, you'll have great joy, and no one will ever take it from you again. And that's the promise that we hang on to right now, is that we're, when we see the Lord again, I mean, whatever you go through to see your vision fulfilled, there comes a time where it seemingly dies, or where it seems like it'll never come to pass, or maybe God's passed me up, and now he's going to raise up another generation. And I'm telling you that everything God will do, everything ever God's ever promised you will come to pass, but it may not be like anything that you thought it would be. It'll be exactly what he meant it would be, but it may be different than what you thought it would be. And so if we're not careful, we become so discouraged and so disappointed over what God's not doing or how he's not doing or who he's not doing it with that we can miss the great miracle that he's doing and bringing about our destiny. And the thing I love about David, King David, is that he, he had a revelation. He was, first of all, he was a priest before he was a king. And even after he was a king, he remained a priest. And the way I see it is the only way to, to live every day. See, I think the church gets caught up, especially prophetic people. I'm a prophetic person. And so, so many times you can look for, I'm going to be happy and complete and satisfied and fulfilled as soon as the Lord does this. And in the meantime, there's that gap, and we're not enjoying life. I mean, David, whether he was fighting a battle, whether he was getting pursued by King Saul, whether he was nearing death, no matter what was going on in his life, he was living in worship because he was a priest. I mean, he, he lived. And so what I'm saying is that there is a life in Christ, and no matter what you're going through, if you maintain that place of just worshiping and being a priesthood first, a priest to the Lord, you'll always have life. And that's what the enemy's after. The enemy tries to steal your soul. And you think about David. I mean, when, when Saul pursued him, I mean, David... You know, David leaves, but, but he left with his mighty men. And these guys, this, this, this group of people, you know, we always talk about the sons of Issachar, that they discerned the times and knew what they should do, but we never talk about what they discerned. I mean, literally what they discerned was that the Spirit of the Lord was lifting off of one kingdom and coming upon something else. And think about it. These guys left comfort. They left provision. They left their families. They left men they had fought battles with and went with God to pursue what God was doing rather than to stay in the place of comfort. And so when they, when they left, I mean, if you remember, um, the, the first thing, they, they go to the high priest house. And I love this story because, I mean, David says, do you have anything to eat? And the priest says, look, I don't have any common bread, only that which is uncommon. All I have is the, the holy show bread that came from the very presence of the holy of holies. And he said, but if your men have kept themselves clean, then they can have the bread. And David said this. You talk about a revelation. David said, look, my men, anybody who can recognize that the anointing of God is lifted off one thing and is willing to come out of all that comfort to pursue what God is doing, it would be as if the bread were unclean and my men were clean. Man, that's, that's holy. I mean, that's, that's holy. 
I mean, what a statement in the Old Testament. I mean, just, I love that verse. Anybody who can discern the moving of spirit. See, we've got to be people who have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to be a part of what God's doing. And see, what, one thing that I always, I, I preached a message here, I think I did it here at Storehouse one night, how to miss a move of God. And here's, the way to miss a move of God is to always miss the move of John the Baptist. Those, Luke chapter 7, verse 30, it's like the saddest verse in the Bible. It says that the scribes and the Pharisees, having not heeded the message of John, defeated God's purpose for their life. It's like they had, they had a purpose. We always think, hey, the Pharisees were just destined to miss it. But God says, no, they had a purpose, but they defeated it by not responding to the message that they could hear. And there's something God always, every time God's ever done anything in my life where he's taken me to another level or to a, a greater anointing or something, it, he always takes me to a place of rending, to a, just a, a, a brokenheartedness. And just a, it, it's not because of sin. It's just like a divine, excuse me, a divine satis, dissatisfaction is where I am. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're using me and it's good, but Lord, I'm just, I don't want to be the same anymore. And he just brings me, I mean, you can't get there on your own, you'll hurt yourself. But I mean, God will, he brings you by the Holy Spirit to a place of brokenness and cleansing, and then he pours in afresh. And so a lot of times we misunderstand what God's doing in our life because something that, he, that he's promised us hasn't come to pass yet, or we get weary in the waiting. I mean, that song today was, was awesome. But we get weary in the waiting, and we all experience that. And it's, and it's what you do in that waiting. You know, I mean, God, there are angels that are just watchers. Their assignment is just to watch you and to take notes. I asked God if they have erasers. <laughs> I, said, I said, I actually have. I said, Lord, can they erase that? But in Daniel chapter 7, it says, This decree is according to the watchers. This decision is according to the watchers, and the decree is by the holy ones that the earth may know that God rules in the affairs of men. There are angels that just watch you waiting to, to tell God it's time to make a decree over this assembly or over this person's life. There are watchers that just watch us. How, how are we going to respond to just delays? How are we going to respond when God doesn't use um, the people that we thought he was going to use or the, or the church that he thought? What, what, what about when God moves? I mean, there, there are people who are, um, we went to a church in East Texas, and it was like we, we stepped into a John Wayne Western or something. We were invited to this little church, and I mean, and they're literally singing number 22, you know, and it's, you know, out of the hymnal, and, and I mean, these sweet people, they're going to heaven, I mean, they are, I mean, most of them, I mean, they're going to heaven, and, and yet, at the same time, but they're not going to be part of the overcoming remnant that God's calling into destiny to be a part of the greatest move of God that we've ever seen in the earth. I mean, David, it was said, David fulfilled the purpose of God in his life for his generation. That's the cry of my heart. Joshua and Caleb. I mean, here are two guys. They had the good report. That they spy out the land. It was everything God said. They knew they were well able to overtake it. And they had to wait 40 years for another generation to enter in with. I mean, man, I mean, that's heartbreaking. But they spied out the land as sons, but they entered in as fathers to the next generation. And that's what God is doing now. He's raising up a younger generation to connect with an older generation to cross over and take cities for the glory and the kingdom of God. When, Elizabeth, when, when the Old Testament ends 
with this, with this promise. What is it? That I'll, turn, that I'll send the spirit of Elijah and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. The New Testament, the very first prophetic word in the New Testament begins with that very verse. It says that John the Baptist will be born. To, and he says he declares his birth. And he says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And so Elizabeth, who is past the age of, of, of childbearing, she thinks that, I mean, like a lot of people, like I'm too old. God's already passed me by. Whatever he was going to do, I guess he, he just found somebody else. And see, that's the lie of the enemy where we just begin to give up. And so here's Elizabeth. She's passed the ability to produce it on her own. And she ends up pregnant with John the Baptist. And so what she's pregnant with, when Mary, who represents a younger generation, when she, Mary comes and greets her, what Mary is carrying causes the baby in Elizabeth to leap in her womb. I'm telling you, there's an older generation right now that is still pregnant, even though you don't know it. And it's the greeting of the younger generation that's going to cause that baby to leap in your womb because your destiny is tied to their destiny. And so when John and Jesus get together for the first time, it says the heavens opened up. And this is what's happening. I'm speaking prophetically what the church is about to happen. The church, the heavens opened up. And the Father declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We're about to see an open heaven over this generation, over both these generations. What you're carrying ministry-wise, what that generation is carrying ministry-wise, when they come together, it's going to open the heavens over our area and over cities to take cities for the glory of God. That's, that verse of Scripture is the only place in Scripture where you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one place. You hear the voice of the Father, you see Jesus there, and you see the dove descending upon him. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. When Noah sent out that dove, if you remember the story, he's on the ark. When Noah sent out the dove, he, Noah's name means rest giver. And we started talking today about making a place for the Lord to rest, a resting place for the Lord. When Noah sent out that dove, the dove found no resting place and came back. He sent it out three times, and three times it came back. The next time you see a dove in Scripture, it finds a resting place on Jesus in that verse. The Lord is looking for the manifestations of sons. He's looking for those that he can find a resting place where the Holy Spirit doesn't just come once in a while so we can bring a prophetic word, but it, the resting place, the Holy Spirit can come and descend and remain upon us. See, I believe the church is going to have three and a half years, and this is not a thus saith the Lord, but I've always just kind of felt this. I believe the church is going to have three and a half years of signs, wonders, and miracles to the degree that Jesus did. But I think it's going to be an Acts 4.13 people. It's going to be uneducated and untrained men, and the world's going to marvel when they see their boldness, recognizing that they're uneducated and untrained. They're going to realize that they have been with Jesus. See, it's not a people that's ever learning. See, all ministry flows out of who you know, not what you know. And so many times, church makes it about what you know because we want to maintain the people. See, I think church should be a revolving door, John. I really do. I think, I think a healthy church should have people coming in, getting filled up, and being sent out left and right. I mean, that's a healthy church. You know, scripture where it says, uh, usually is used for finance. It says there's those that hold on to a thing, it comes to, to little. How does it say it? But those that, that release it, it comes to much, it comes to plenty. 
That's, that's a word for the church right now. If you'll just let people go, God will always replenish them, and you'll bear the fruit that remains. But if you try to hold on to people, they become like those bird dogs. Their hope gets deferred, and they can't even run to the gate. The Lord showed me if you put a young puppy in with those bird dogs that had, had that hope deferred, that young dog would have run to the gate, and the other dogs would have attacked him because they were so jealous of his zeal and enthusiasm. That's what the church does. We, 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 we enjoy putting the fire out. I'm, I'm talking about religion, okay? It enjoys putting the fire out in people because the fire is a threat to my ministry. So God wants a, a, a healthy church that's, that's not insecure in their identity so they can release people to go do great exploits for God so that God gets the glory. Amen. See, we're crossing over with two generations like Joshua and Caleb did. When they, when they crossed over, they took Jericho, was the first city. But the second city they took, this is Judges chapter 1, I'm not going to turn there. But in Judges chapter 1, they took, the next city they took was a place called Debir. And it was, it was, it was formerly called uh, Cariath Sefer. And that word, that, the name of that city meant um, books. So it was a city of books. So it was like where all the philosophies of men where all the, 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 the wisdom of the ages on scrolls and stuff is where they stored all that stuff. And that's what you got. The tree of knowledge can never enter into the things of the kingdom. And so the first city they took was that tree of knowledge, that kingdom place. And so Joshua says, hey, who's going to take this city for me? And his nephew, a guy named Othniel, rises up and says, I'll take the city. He said, well, first he says, what will be done for the man who'll take the city? He says, I'll give you my daughter in marriage. And so he gets the daughter in marriage, and she asks for the sloping fields with the upper and lower springs which speaks of the former and the latter rain. This is what's happening now. Is when, when the generation like Joshua and Caleb comes as fathers to the next generation, God's taking cities. See, I, I said earlier this year, I think at New Year's, I said, look, any, any church vision that's not um, connected to a city or a regional vision to take the city is not going to make it in the days ahead because that's what God's doing. God's not into, I mean, Dallas doesn't need another church. Dallas needs to raise up city takers. I mean, I mean, God wants the atmosphere shifted over this land, over this city, so that the glory of God, you know, fills Dallas, Texas. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. I, you know, I had a word of knowledge during worship, and what it was is, uh, you know, I was joking about being a prodigal. But there's someone in here, I don't know if you're watching uh, this on tape or on, on the live stream, but what I, what I was sensing from the Lord was that there's a person here that's really backslidden. And, and what it is, the lie that the enemy is using against you is that you can never get back to the place that you were, and you can't accomplish what God called you to do. And so I'm not going to point anybody out, but I'm just saying take that as an encouragement. God is saying to you, just, move, just make room for the Lord in your life, and you'll get back to where you were and beyond where you were. It's the word of the Lord. So whoever that is, just, we just break off that condemnation off that person and that shame, and we just say, Lord, we call them back into your kingdom like you did the prodigal son. You, you immediately put the ring back on his finger, you immediately clothed him in righteousness, and you threw a party. 
So, Lord, we just bless that one that you're speaking to in Jesus' name. Um, those that have had, um, as I was speaking, that just feel like my bird dogs, where you just had hope deferred or just are weary, we want to pray for you. Amen? And we want to pray for, we'll prophesy and pray over everything that moves. But um, I definitely want to pray. <laughs> I definitely want to pray for those that have hope deferred. But Father, I pray right now over everyone in this room that God, that by your spirit, you would bring, cause that, that baby to leap in the womb of every man, every woman in this place. That Lord, that holy destiny, that holy calling, that purpose, that desire, no matter where they are in this process, whether they're about to give birth, Lord, you said you're not a God who brings to the point of birth and does not give strength to deliver. And, Lord, we thank you for the strength by your spirit. Lord, it says the, the voice of the Lord causes the deer to calf. It causes the deer to give birth. Lord, it's your voice that causes the baby to leap. It's the sound of your voice that gives us strength to give uh, birth to that that you put inside of us. That, Lord, we break off the weariness. We break off the discouragement. We break off the lies of the enemy wherever we believed a lie that says that you've passed us by or that you've raised up someone else. We just break every lie every spirit of condemnation, every spirit of discouragement off of your people. Lord, you said in, in Job 22, you said that when, when the enemy comes and says there's a casting down, that we would say, no, there's a lifting up, and there would be a lifting up. Lord, we declare a lifting up tonight over your people. We declare a lifting over, up and a lifting off of every burden, every bit of weariness and discouragement in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Father, that you bring us forth into the greatest time of fulfillment and destiny. That, Lord, it's time to go hunting. It really is hunting season. It's time to go to the, the highways and the byways. It's time, Lord, to bear fruit like we've never borne fruit before. And with joy, we declare we're, we'll draw water from the wells of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.